Welcome to Hope Chapel's Sermon Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this teaching from God's Word. And we also want to invite you to join us in person at a worship service Friday at 7, Saturday at 6, or Sunday mornings at 9 or 11. This is a familiar parable that Jesus tells. Most of us have read it. I've read it, taught on it tons of times. And it's always a source of encouragement and a reminder to me about God's will and purpose for my life, that I be a good steward over what he's entrusted into my care. So we've been talking about stewardship these past several weeks, and this is my concluding message on that subject this, this weekend. And hopefully uh, the things I've shared with you have been beneficial to you in your life. So let's just look at this parable, if you will. Matthew chapter 25, this is the parable of the talents. Jesus says again, it will be like a man, meaning it, the, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. He called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Does that have any ramifications for us? Absolutely. God has entrusted his kingdom to us, hasn't he? And we're to be faithful stewards of his kingdom. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent. Notice this, each according to his, what? Ability. God knows exactly how he created us. He knows exactly how he's gifted us. He knows exactly where we fit in his economy of things. And he knows our ability. He knows how he's made us. And so he's given us uh, uh, stewardship over that which is according to the ability that he built into us. Sometimes we say, oh, this is too much, this is too much. Sometimes we get over-involved rather than discern what is the ability, what is it that God has called me to steward. He goes on and he says, then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Hmm. Do you think he had any idea what was in store for him? Do we hide our talents? Do we hide what God has entrusted to us? Do we... Do we do with it as he intends, or do we just ignore it? Important lesson. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master said, well done, good and successful servant. Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. The master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Faithfulness in what he's entrusted to us means that he's going to continue to entrust us with more. 
expands our capacity. Then the man who had received the one talent came, Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. Mm. I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. What are we doing with, he's in, with what he's entrusted to us? What are we doing with the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the ministries, and so forth that he's entrusted to us? So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. This is what you really thought of me. This is how you think of me as a hard man. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents for who, everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you suppose he expected that, that response? No, no. It's a, it's, a, it's a scary passage, especially at the end, and I think all of us have to be aware of the fact that God has called us into ministry, certainly not vocational ministry, but avocational ministry. We all have a part to play in the body of Christ, and if we're not fulfilling that role, we are tantamount to but wicked and lazy servants. It's just that simple. You can't say anything more. You can't say, well, I was afraid. Step out. Step out. Be involved. So if we are to be good and faithful servants, I'm going to want to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Just a few of you. Let me try that again. How many want to hear those words? Well done, good and faithful servant. Okay, that's a few more of you. Some of you are resisting. And especially in the area of our finances. Our life in general, but more particularly because we've been talking about uh, giving and stewardship, especially in the area of our finances. We need to remember some things. Three weeks ago, I talked to you about the sovereignty of God. You have to remember God is absolutely sovereign over everything. Everything belongs to who? It belongs to him. It doesn't belong to me. What he has, what I have, what I possess, he has entrusted to me for a period of time, just like these servants in this parable. So I have to have in view his sovereignty. Secondly, we need to be aware of and avoid the subtlety of debt. Debt is a subtle thing. It creeps up on us before you know it. You have to recognize that and be willing to avoid it. Thirdly, we talked about adopting the whole idea, the centrality of the tithe, that we are to be giving people, we're to be generous people, and most particularly with the tithe. The tithe belongs to who? belongs to God, we're told. He says in his word. Tenth of everything belongs to him. And we bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And this morning I want to talk to you about 
the whole idea of accepting God's plan and enjoying the security of obedience. When we talk about obedience, sometimes people think, oh, you can be legalistic. No, no, no. The Bible calls us to obedience. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And to look at that, I want you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. This is one of my favorite stories and accounts out of the Old Testament. This has to do with Naaman and Elisha. 2 Kings chapter 5. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but, but what? He had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read this way. With this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I, can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him to say, Go wash yourself seven times in the, Jericho, in the Jordan, and your flesh will be recovered and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand and over the space and cure me of my leprosy. Are not the rivers of Damascus better than the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored, and he became like that of a young boy. And then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before, before him and said, now I know 
that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. That's a, that's a tremendous passage, and there's some significant lessons I think that we can learn from that particular passage. From Naaman's life and Naaman's situation, we can see that there are at least six things. The first thing we learn is that no one is immune from problems. By the way, did you notice I gave you all the blanks too? Filled in all your notes for you. No one is immune from problems. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what your position in life may be, no one is immune from problems. Notice the whole first verse commends Naaman, doesn't it? And then he says what? But he had a problem. What was his problem? He had leprosy. This is a major issue for him. Everybody has problems. I don't care who you are. The question is, what's my problem? And what am I going to do about it? The second lesson is God will use the most unlikely sources to get us what we need. What source did God use in this account? He used the young Israelite girl who's memorialized here. We don't even know her name. You just have to see God working. Bands from Aram went out, raiding parties went out, and they captured this young Israelite girl. She became the servant of Naaman's wife. How does that all happen, God? We find ourselves in situations sometimes where we go, how did this happen? Why am I here? What's going on? And rather than complaining, we have to what? Trust God because he is sovereign. He is working his plan. He's working his will out. You may not understand it. You may not get it, but you can trust him. So here she is. She's been captured. She becomes the, 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 the maid, if you will, of Naaman's wife. And she tells the wife what? She knows of a prophet down in Israel, huh? Down in Samaria. If my master would go down to the prophet, he would hail him. And so in Naaman's situation, it was a servant girl that God would use to lead him to the cure, to the solution to his problem. You have no idea how God is going to restore you. You have no idea where God is going to lead you, who he's going to bring into your life. But he is faithful, isn't he? The third lesson is the answer to our problem won't usually be what we want to hear. Have you ever noticed that? What did Elisha tell Naaman to do? Go down in the Jordan and what? Wash seven times, didn't he? By the way, this is where I got come seven times from this passage. If you come and wash seven times, chances are you'll be healed. Did Naaman want to hear that? Huh? No, Naaman didn't want to hear that. Here he is, he stops at Naaman's door and he expects, or stops at Elisha's door, I'm sorry, he stops at Elisha's door, he expects Elisha to do what? To come out, 
wave his hand, call on his God, have some big hoopla going on. And yet, what does Elisha do? He stays in his house, sends his servant out with a message. <laughs> sends his servant with a message. Was Naaman happy with that? No, no, no. So this leads me to point number four. We'll often be tempted to come up with our own plan. What was his plan? Go back to Damascus. Wash in the, in the waters of the rivers in Damascus. Take matters into his own hands. Proverbs says what? Don't lean on your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all of your ways, not just some of your ways, and he will make your path straight. As you grow and mature as a believer, you learn to trust God, and you learn to acknowledge him in all of your ways. Most of the time we acknowledge him in just a couple of our ways, rather than all of our ways. And as you learn more and more and more to trust him and acknowledge him in all of your ways, that means you, you, you want to know what his will is. You want to know what he wants. And the only way you get that is by reading his book, learning him and learning how he works. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be a, 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 a schooled teacher or a preacher or a missionary. You just can read your Bible and God will teach you. Everybody has a concordance. How many know what a concordance is? It's that section in the back of your Bible that has most all the words in the Bible. And you just look up a word, you have an issue, you have a problem, look it up. And you'll find all the verses that speak to that issue. You can do your own personal Bible study. I'm forever using my concordance and seeing what God has to say about this thing or that thing or the other thing. You want to know what God's will is. Otherwise, you're going to be tempted to lean on your own understanding. Number five, wise friends will always encourage us to do what God says. Wise friends will always encourage us to do what God says. One of the surest ways you can tell a true and wise friend is that person will always tell you what you need to hear or want to hear. What you need to hear. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, the Bible tells us. You may not like me, but I have to tell you this. You need to hear this. You tell us the truth. Notice Naaman's servants in verse 13. These are his servants. They came to him and they appealed to him. And they said, if, 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 the, if the prophet had, had said to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done that? So logic would dictate, do even this lesser thing. They told him to do what God says. And number six, God's way is always the right way. God's way is always the right way. It's always the right way. There is great security in obedience. Naaman eventually did what he was told and he was healed. You will never obey God and regret it, I promise you. I've not had one person ever in almost 40 years of doing this ever come to me and say, you know, I obeyed God and I regret it. Never. I obeyed God. Let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you what happened. I have a testimony. 
Obedience, the security, there's security and obedience. And obedience always requires two things, always. The first thing it requires is faith. It requires that we have faith. Am I willing to trust God and do things his way? Am I willing to trust God and do things? And this, this, this speaks to every area of our life, relationships particularly, notwithstanding also our finances, ministries he's entrusted to us. Am I willing to trust God and do it his way or have, am I going to do it my way? Am I going to lean on my own understanding? Am I making sense? So obedience to God will always require faith on our part. And secondly, it requires faithfulness. We have to ask, can God trust me with this? Can God trust me with this relationship? Can God trust me with this person? Can God trust me with these resources? Can God trust me with this ministry? Am I learning to be more and more and more of a trustworthy person? Faith, faithfulness. Faith, faithfulness. Say it with me. Faith, faithfulness. Absolutely, absolutely. Am I willing to stay the course? Am I willing to stay the course? Am I willing to be faithful? So many times we give up too quickly. We start out, most of us start out really well. Don't we make great start? We say, oh yes, all right. I'm gonna work in the parking ministry. We start well. What's required of us as good stewards is that we what? Finish well. And for so many people, so much of the time, tragically, we give up midstream. We quit, we fade away. Because the, the, the call on our life is too much. It's just too much, it's too much. I talked to somebody last night who was telling me that they, they didn't wanna to come to church. And I said, why? Oh, I, just was, I was just sitting there in my easy chair and have to get up and get dressed and come. I said, I promise you, at the end of the night, you're gonna be glad you came. Isn't that true? Yeah. We all said that, you're like you're gonna to go to mini church, right? You go, oh man, I've been work all day, gotta go to mini church. And then after you go, you say, I'm glad I came. I'm glad I came. It's the devil who's trying to hold you up. It's the devil who's trying to rob you of a blessing. It's that simple. It just means being faithful. Just being faithful. Will I stay the course and see this thing through? Now, when you decide to obey God, you have to be prepared for three things to happen. The first is discouragements. I don't care who you are, discouragement's gonna come. Discouragement is one of Satan's greatest weapons and tools to bring us to our knees, and not in a good way. Discouragement. I'm so discouraged. I'm so discouraged. Every Christian is gonna experience discouragement in one way or another. And especially when you purpose in your heart, I'm gonna do thus and such. I'm gonna obey God. I am gonna start out. I'm gonna go down this path with him. The devil's gonna come and try to discourage you. If he can discourage you, you are what? Dead in the water. Absolutely dead in the water. 
This is why the New Testament says so many times, encourage one another, encourage one another. You have no idea who is living in the midst of discouragement unless they tell you. But I think you can presume in one fashion or another, most people, most of the time, are experiencing, or at least trying to stave off discouragement. And it's how wonderful it is when someone comes and says, hey, let me encourage you. Let me tell you something encouraging. And you go, wow, that, that, I just needed to hear that. I needed to hear that. Can anybody relate to what I'm talking about? Okay, a few of you on this side, good. All right. So you're going to be tempted to say things like, why, why, am I, why, am I, why am I spending all this time? Why am I serving? I look around and nobody's doing what I'm doing. Why am I uh, disciplining myself? Why am I going without when, when other people seem to, to just have everything they want? Does, uh, he's blowing in your ear. Blowing in your ear. Who's sovereign? God is sovereign. And he wants you to what? Trust him. He wants you to trust him and he wants you to be faithful regardless of your present circumstances. And if you lose sight of the fact that the devil's tool is discouragement, you're, you're going to be dead in the water. Remember that. Be prepared. When you set out to obey God, when you set out on, on some new path to grow and mature as a Christian, understand that the enemy is going to come and in one way try to discourage you. Or, secondly, he may be a source of distraction. He may bring distractions to you. This is why when you go, when you have a devotional time, you go in your prayer closet, you leave your phone outside. You get quiet. If you take that phone in with you, guess what's going to happen? I watch people with their phones. You know, there's a phone's right there. They go, talking to you. Easily distracted by, by, by these devices. And there are lots of ways in which he can distract us or bring distractions in our life. Tempt us to look away. Tempt us to faithlessness, not faithfulness. Distractions are going to come, get you off track. If the, and if you're, if you, if, if the distractions get you off track, they will lead you right back into bondage. Right back into bondage. And then there are the detractors. These are the people who think they have a better way. Oh, don't, you don't have to go through all that. You have to, let me tell you, you just do it this way. No, no. I want to do it whose way? I want to do it God's way. Be careful of the detractors. God never calls us to the easy way. Have you noticed that? If you're going down the easy way, it's probably not God calling. He doesn't call us to the easy way. He doesn't call us to the lazy way. He doesn't call us to the inexpensive way, nor does he call us to the convenient way. He always calls us to the right way, to his way, his way. How many know that to follow him and to live out his will is costly? It's costly. 
we are to what? Deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him once a month. <laughs> on Easter Sunday. Christmas and Easter. The rest of the year we're on our own. No. No. Our job is to decide to listen. To decide to listen. This is one of the greatest problems we have is, is, is communication. I mean, we can talk a lot, but do we listen? Am I paying attention to you? Am I giving you eye contact? Are we connecting? Am I listening to you? Jesus said, if you have ears to hear, you better hear. Listen. And when you decide to listen, our responsibility is to obey him and do what he tells us. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Were you with me? When we apply God's principles, God's way, we will always get God's results. Now, I want to summarize things we've been talking about for the last four weeks and talk to you about eight simple strategies that will help us be free from financial difficulties and trials and stress. All of these you'll find in your Bible. This is what God says. Let's follow his way, not lean on our own understanding. The first principle, trust God. That should go without saying, but we have to say it. Trust God, trust God. In your prayer life, you say, God, I trust you. I trust you. And you run down the list of all the things that you trust him with and you trust him about. Everything that he's entrusted to you, I trust you and I want to be trustworthy. Again, trust in the Lord with most of your heart, part of your heart, all of your heart. That's the challenge. I can trust in the Lord over here, but over here, I'm not so sure. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Even these impossible situations, things that you have no idea how this is going to turn out. You don't see any human possible way out of this dilemma. He is still God and he's still on the throne and he still has a solution for you. Trust in him with all of your heart. Every day, be learning. God, I want to trust you with all my heart. Show me those areas where I'm not trusting you, really. Because we can easily put those on the side, in the side pockets of our car, right? We forget it's there. You ever done that? Forget. You go, once in a while, you dig through your side. Whoa, how long do I have that? I put, I put gift cards and coupons in the side pocket, you know? Because you never know, when we're out, we get to stop and, oh, I have a coupon, let's go over there for lunch. Sometimes I'll dig through that and I say, oh my gosh, I didn't know I had that. We're going to go to the Olive Garden today for lunch, right? I found a coupon in my side pocket. <laughs> Trust God. The second strategy is what? Tithe. Tithe. That's the beginning point to generosity. If you're not tithing, you will never, ever become a generous person. God is making us like himself. He's changing us from stingy, selfish, fearful, wimpish people 
to awesome people like himself. He said, you be holy because I'm holy. Come on now, he says. Come on. Come on with me. I think I read someplace where Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. So tithing is just, this is the entry point. If you're, if you're not tithing, you're missing out. I, when I do marriage counseling, a lot of times I'll ask the couple, I'll say, let me ask you a question, because they're having little difficulties in their marriage, and they're not, they're not doing the marriage the way God would say to do it, okay? It's very clear. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in my office. So one of the questions I'll ask is, are you tithing? Invariably, they are not. Almost invariably, they're not tithing. I said, you're not even doing the basic things. They say, what does tithing have to do with our marriage? I said, you wouldn't, you have to, don't even have to ask me that question. You're not being generous. You're not learning to let go of the stuff in yourself. You're not learning to be generous with this other person and give to them. Because you're not learning to let go and give back to God first. It always starts with him. Always starts with him. Tithe, without question, it's absolutely critical to our lives as Christians. And I know some of you are just going to just ignore this. I know some of you say, well, there's no way, no way I can do this. Trust God. Step out in faith. Otherwise, you're still stuck. You're still going to be stuck in your life. I love what David says in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24. He says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Do you remember Aruna had said to him, he said, here, let me give you the, the, the bull and the, and the wood for the fire. And David said, no, I'll pay for it. Aruna says, take, the, take this threshing floor. I'll pay for it. Not going to cost him, not going to do anything that costs him nothing. Every Christian ought to be a faithful, consistent tither slash giver. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says, I love this, remember this. Call this to mind. Remember this. This is important. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap what? Sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's like a law that God has built into his creation. Does the law of gravity work every time? If I jump off this thing, am I just going to fly away? No, I'll probably break my leg. It's the law of sowing and reaping. It works every single time. In Malachi, we saw last week, where God says, what? Test me in this and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. We don't trust God. We're just so cheap. We're unwilling to learn what it means to be a generous person, to be more and more like him. So he goes on, he says, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly, under compulsion, but God loves a what kind of giver? Cheerful, Cheerful giver. A number of years ago, I was preaching on this. The guy comes up to me after service, he says, I'm having a hard time being a cheerful giver, so does God expect me to give? Yes! 
but he would prefer you be cheerful about it. Now cheer up. <laughs> Crazy. God is able, God is able to make what? All grace. Now look at this. Look at how many times the word all. All grace abound to you in, so that in all things, at all times, you have all you need it will abound in every good work. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a blank check to me. Take that one to the bank. Trust God. If you're not tithing, start tithing. Number three, have a budget. Have a budget. I still talk to people, I've been talking about this for years, who do not have a budget. Have a budget. Jesus encouraged planning. He encouraged preparing. He encouraged strategizing. Look at what he says in Luke's gospel. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down, estimate the cost, and see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation, is not able to finish it, everyone will see, who sees it will what? Ridicule him. Does that sound like planning? Does that sound like anything akin to having a budget? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Number four, get out of debt. Get out of debt. Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Get out of debt. Stop being servant to somebody else other than God. Just be his servant. Get out of debt. Don't incur any more debt. Remember the word interest. Don't forget what that word actually means. If you're paying interest, somebody else is making money and not you. And the, and the letters D-E-B-T, dumb explanation for buying things. <laughs> and if you think you have to go into debt to get something, don't even buy that. I'm serious. I'm serious. These are hard and fast rules you would apply to your life. Don't buy anything you can't pay cash for. Do we like to wait for stuff? Ooh. I've got my credit card. I can put it on my credit card. Oh, I gotta have it. I just gotta have it, though. I'm not even gonna ask for a show of hands how many people are impulse buyers. Because I know we all are. <laughs> gotta have it. Gotta have it now. Now. Start paying off your debts. Number five, start saving. Proverbs 13, 11 says, dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. If you don't have a savings account, start saving. You say, well, I just, I have more month left at the end of my money. That's because you don't have a budget. That's because you're wasting the resources. God knows exactly how much to trust you with. And if you're not being faithful with what he's given you, he is not gonna give you more because you're not going to be faithful with the more. We saw that from the parable of the talents. We saw it from uh, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's a principle that governs our life. Always spend less than you earn. Budget, budget, budget. You're going to have to say no to some things. No, no, no. Set a goal to have more money left at the end of the month and more month left at the end of your money. 
And after you give God's his money, try to save at least 10% for yourself. Number six, try to have a margin fund. Now what's a margin fund? A margin fund is not your savings. It's a little extra on the side that you put away for emergencies. And more particularly, emergencies that people you know and love find themselves in. It's like you're in mini church. And very often mini church would take up an offering. Someone's got a problem. Someone has to deal with something. Would take up an offering to help them. Oh, I've got some in my margin fund. I can use that. Do you have a margin fund? This is all part of good stewardship of what God's entrusted to you. Number seven, do you have a will or a trust or some instrument that protects you and whatever possessions God has, is entrusted to you? It's good stewardship to have one of those instruments. Well, well I, don't, I don't have anything. Yeah, but you will. Have a will, have a trust, put something in place. And number eight, don't quit, don't turn back. Don't get sidetracked from these eight principles. People are gonna say all sorts of things to you. Don't allow yourself to be distracted by what happens or what people say to you. Don't quit, don't turn back. Jesus says no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I've set my course, I'm moving ahead. I've set my course, I'm moving ahead. Every area of life, whether it be marriage, whether it be with your kids, whether it be your job, whether it be whatever it is, finances, don't quit, persevere, don't look back. Remember Naaman, the issue wasn't the washing. With Naaman, the issue was the obeying. He obeyed and he was blessed, right? God cleansed him. It's all obedience. And I want to leave you this one last thought, ask you this question. Are you enjoying the security of obedience? Are you secure in your obedience to him? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your abundant provision. Thank you, Lord, that you know each of us intimately and you know what your purposes are for us. I pray, Lord, that we would be faithful stewards over these lives you've entrusted to us, over the, all the resources you've entrusted to us. And Lord, that we would hunger more and more and more to know more of what your will is so that we can hurry up and do it. Lord, you know everything. You know the conditions of our heart this morning. As we come to your table, we ask your spirit to search us. And if there's any hurtful, wrong way in us, Lord, that we would acknowledge those things to you, confess them to you, confident that you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, thank you for being our God. And thank you for Jesus. Holy Spirit, have your way in us, we ask. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On behalf of the Hope Chapel family, we want to thank you for joining us. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can visit www.hopechapel.org.